Well, I wanted to kind of take a little break this morning from the big series that we've been in and kind of do a little mini-series I'm calling Love Your Neighbor because we've been seeing all this stuff that's come out of a big tragedy. Hurricane Harvey, uh, you know, was devastating to so many of us and yet in the midst of it, we've seen this amazing uh, kind of outpouring that just, you, you just see everybody getting in this together, being together. Uh, all of the footage that you see, and, and it's like, you know, even the national news is talking about it, how all of these things that it seemed, they thought had separate us, separated us, has just kind of gone away, and we've just joined together. We do that after big tragedies like that. Even Hollywood has gotten in on the act. Did you see the, the little telethon thing they had? You know, I was tempted to call just to see if they were really answering the phone, you know, if that was really them. But, you know, everybody seems like they're reaching out together. Now, let me ask you a question. What if what it's looked like and this thing that's brought us this good feeling, what if that's what the church is supposed to look like all the time? What if that is what Jesus meant for the church to be. That's what I want to talk about. So let's get into that. And I think it's going to be life changing when we really see what Jesus intended and how exactly to do that. Let me just tell you something this morning as we get started. You know, one of the things that really gets on my last nerve, I guess, um, if you really want to know, one of the things that causes me to really dislike someone I'm not gonna say hate because like Christians don't hate right so but if you do something bad to one of my children if you're mean to one of my children if if you do something to them that would cause one of my children to cry I really am going to have a hard time with you and if you're a parent here I mean that's you probably could say the same thing you know maybe uh, there's no teachers at Roberts Road that would ever do that. But, you know, let's say you had a teacher that was mean to your kids. And, and um, you know, they would have a different perspective. Maybe it was your kid. But, you know, and, and you go, I just have a hard time liking that teacher because of the way that I feel like they've treated my kid. Or, or maybe it's even a friend of your kid, you know. But I have a hard time if someone mistreats my kid. I have a hard time. With them. The reverse of that's true too. You want to honor me? You want to make me feel good about you? Do something great for my kid, right? I, I mean, get involved in the life of my kid. Help my kid. Encourage my kids. That's, that's going to make a difference for me. But if you treat my kids poorly, it doesn't matter if you come and give me gifts or say nice things or what you do. I'm going to have real trouble with you. I'm glad I got that out of my system. No, we're going to come back to that in a minute, okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll get to what I'm talking about there, okay? When it comes to life with God, the arrival of Jesus brought something radical and new. It brought an end to the old model of worshiping God. I would guess you would call that maybe like the temple model. And I'm not just talking about the Jewish temple because the Syrians, the Babylonians, uh, 
the Egyptians, many of them had this temple model. It's built around a few presuppositions. One is there are always sacred places in the temple model. You know, you have to take your shoes off or you have to cover your head, especially if you're a woman, or you have to do something. You have to be quiet because it's holy. It's a holy place. There are sacred places. We still see that in the world today. Another thing about the temple model, there are always sacred texts, inscriptions or oracles or documents or, or, or something that have been translated. And number three, there are always sacred men. And for some reason it seems like it's always men. I haven't got that figured out yet, but it's sacred men who hold the sacred texts and protect the sacred places. And then there's followers. Now they might be superstitious followers or they might be really sincere followers or they might just be scared followers. If I don't follow, something bad's going to happen to me. But they're always followers. Well, when Jesus came, he established a whole new thing. A new covenant, a new arrangement between God and man. And he gave a new command. Now, every temple has lots and lots of little rules and laws and precepts and things that you follow. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you one command. And this one command is to be the, the, the filter through which you view all other commands. We see it in John 13, 34 and 35. He says this, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He also said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment. You want to hear my commandment? Love each other in the same way I have loved you. This one command is going to be the filter through which you make all your decisions. When you aren't sure what to do, you're to ask, what does love require of me? And he launched this new movement. And he said, I'm going to establish my ecclesia. That's a Greek word, and we translate it church but we've kind of lost the meaning ecclesia doesn't mean church building later on there was a translation out of german a german word church that uh, we all adopted and it means house of god but we lost the meaning that's not what jesus was saying when he said i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it he was saying i will build my ecclesia a movement a congregation a group of followers in fact they called early Christianity, uh, they just called it the way. Did you know that? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of the way? They didn't call them Christians for a long time. It was their enemies that first called them Christians because they said, oh, they're kind of like little Christs running around. We'll just call them Christians, you know, little, little Christs. No, they were followers of the way, a movement where love would replace law-keeping. And where self-sacrifice would replace animal sacrifice. And it was mind-blowing. And what's so fascinating is that the church got off to this amazing, extraordinary start. This movement. If you read the ancient literature of what the pagans said about Christians. They watched the Christians. Now they couldn't understand 
what they believed, if you see some of it, because like even the, the simplicity of communion, where Jesus said, I want you to remember what I did for you. They, they got it mixed up in pagan literature and they said, we're not sure what they do, but somehow I think they drink blood or something. And, and, and we're not sure what that is. It's kind of weird. But wow, how they love. We're not sure exactly what they believe, but I don't understand how they love. Because Christians would go out into the streets and take the children that had been abandoned. Because in Roman culture, if you were sickly or had a, a, a mental handicap or, or some other kind of handicap, they would just abandon you on the street to live or die. Or if you were a girl and they didn't want another girl, they would just leave you on the street to make your way as best you could. And the Christians would go out and take these little ones and gather them up and care for them in their own homes, in their own places. And they would not only take care of their own poor, but the Christians would go out and, and take care of the poor of the, the pagan people. And, and the Christian community began to gain traction. They're looking at them going like, we don't understand these people. Something amazing. And look how they love each other besides that. Now, as the Christian community gained traction, they had no Bible. I mean, only the Jewish Christians had the Old Testament. The Gentile Christians didn't even have that. And the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Uh, so they were just had these scraps and fragments. And basically, it was the stories of eyewitnesses who had heard and walked with Jesus. And they said what they heard him speak and what they heard him say. For example, someone would say, did you know Matthew? He told me that this happened. Matthew 22. This guy came to Jesus and said, Sir, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied back to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem. The word actually is hang from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Everything hangs on this. Keep only these and you will find you're obeying all the others. Jesus said that. We want to do that. And so they had these little scraps and fragments. And 25 years or so after Jesus. The Apostle Paul's letters began to circulate through the churches. But they just had copies. One would have a copy here and a copy there. And then someone would make another copy and get it to your church. So that they could read and they would share the letters of Paul. But there was this extraordinary movement that was fueled by love one another like Jesus loved. And, and if you forget everything else, just remember that. Love one another. You put the other person ahead of yourself. Well, then something else happened on October the 28th in the year 312 AD. Emperor Constantine of Rome was on his way to do battle with the co-emperor Maxentius of Rome to find out who's going to be the supreme ruler of the whole Roman Empire. And history tells us that in the middle of the day, Constantine had a vision of a cross in the sky beyond the sun. And some say that he heard a voice. Some say he saw an inscription. It said, in this sign 
conquer. And so he put crosses on the shields of his soldiers and he went to battle and he was victorious. And Constantine embraced Christianity. And the cross began to be a symbol not of crucifixion in general but of the crucifixion of Jesus. And a year later Constantine legalized Christianity and when he did he began to pour money into the church. He began to build church buildings everywhere. Everywhere he heard that a, a martyr or a saint had died he would put a, you know, a church building over that. He began, began to collect the relics, the bones of, of the apostles and others and he made a decree that churches didn't have to pay any taxes and all the, all the rich people figured out that if they would dedicate their properties to the church and to the houses of God that wouldn't be collected until after they died, they wouldn't pay any taxes to Rome. And, and so they decided to do that. It just made a lot of good sense to them. And so the church became very wealthy and people became Christians because it paid to follow Jesus under the leadership of Constantine. He also banned crucifixion and seemingly overnight Christianity went from being a, a persecuted minority to the empowered majority. Now the problem was and this was no one's intent or some grand plan but suddenly Christianity became inseparable from empire. It, it all kind of mixed in together the crusades and all the things that happened and they you know they, they would say if you would go and do this all your sins are forgiven so they would rape and pillage all the way to Jerusalem because you know those sins were going to be forgiven or they were already forgiven and, and and so this this whole new group of sacred men that began to intentionally collect all of the Christian texts and bind them together and chain them to the altar so that no one else could read them but them because the masses weren't to read the scriptures so you didn't get the Bible and they would interpret how it's going to be interpreted and suddenly the temple models back it was just a Christian version of the temple model sacred places sacred men who controlled sacred texts no one had access to the Bible and all of a sudden this Jesus movement that was to be fueled by love one another it almost disappeared then comes the reformation and, and there's some good things that came out of the reformation but there also came a splintering into dozens and then hundreds and then now there are over a thousand protestant denominations all over the world and you know what divided them because some loved better than others was that it no it was their interpretations of the text and you can almost sense that Jesus must be saying, how could I have been any clearer? I mean, I got them all together right at the end and I got down on my hands and knees and I washed their feet. And I told them, this is an example. This is what I'm doing for you. You're to do this for one another. I looked them in the eye and I said, just as I have just loved you, love one another and by this everyone will know you're my disciples that you do this the apostle Paul must be saying well Jesus I actually wrote mine down and, and, and had it copied over and over and I told him the only thing that counts 
is faith expressing itself through love. That's pretty clear. Also, Galatians 5, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So my question is, how could something so clear become so complicated? And it carries down to our day. I mean, we're we're all guilty of temple thinking. Temple thinking asks this question, what Exactly must I do to make things right and keep things right between God and me. And me is a big part of temple thinking. That's not a bad question at the beginning before you step into this journey with Christ. You wonder about that. But what the Bible teaches and what Jesus taught is that once you step into this journey with Christ, you accept what he did on the cross for you. We talked about that Last week, that the insanity of the cross only makes sense when we understand God's complete love, his complete justice, and that those go together. That he must punish sin, but he was so merciful that he stepped in and took the punishment for us. That's the only thing that explains the cross. But when we say, Jesus, what you did on the cross, I I accept that for myself. I trust that, that you took my place and I want you to lead me and I want to follow you with all that I am. From that moment on, what the Bible teaches is you're fine with God and God is fine with you. And it's not to be about you anymore. It's to be about one another, the other. And and this is a, a, a big distinction that our focus must shift from you to others. You see, temple thinking is a very subtle form of self-centered religion because the Jesus model centered on the other beside you. That means if you're a Democrat, it centers on the you to the right of you. If you're a Republican, it centers on the you to the left of you. If you're a racist, it centers on the you you don't want to have anything to do with. And if you have a neighbor... How many of you have a neighbor? That's incredible. (laughs) It focuses on your neighbor. And if you're a believer, it focuses on the one far from God. Because they haven't experienced what you've experienced. And God loves them and is pulling at them. And temple thinking affects us all the time. You know... When we built this building, this worship room right here, this is not a sacred place. And and I remember we were over in the other place, and I loved the other place. And I was told, in fact, I loved Goodson Middle School probably the best of all the places we've been. When there was like 500 of us, and we just hung out, and man, it was, I baptized you in that little blow up pool. It was crazy because it was about a foot of water, and I had to like stomp you down to get you under. thought man we just need to sprinkle or something I don't know do something different but it it was it was an amazing time it was such a fun time but I remember we built this building because we were so out of space over there and your friends and neighbors couldn't come and I remember we actually had like over a hundred people come to me and go I'm not going to come anymore because this is just too big for me and I was like it's too big for me too that's not the point I mean, the point was we were trying to get some chairs. You can look around. You got some 
chairs for your neighbors available do we think to ask them today you know but they actually came to me and they were going like it's too big for me I, I it just it, it's too big for me and it's like it's not for you we, we just built an aircraft carrier not you know not a cruise liner that's not what this place is and we built it simple and inexpensive but we were just trying to get a little bit more space so that your neighbors could come because it seemed like people were coming in like crazy that were far from God and coming to know God and we just wanted to make a little more room for that but see temple thinking is like I don't know if I really like that that doesn't that doesn't feel good to me and, and, and Jesus is always going like but it's not about you you see following Jesus is an invitation to leave what's all about you and embrace what's all about the other beside you. And if you filter the whole New Testament, Old Testament, writings of Paul, teachings of Jesus through that filter, I'm telling you, everything's going to change. It's going to come alive for you. And Jesus is going to say really clearly to you, this is my commandment. Now Moses had a bunch, but this is my commandment. Here it is. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. It represents a 100% departure from temple thinking. Now that doesn't mean that there's no truth for us. God's word shows us how to love. It, it shows us what's truth. I mean, for example, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about, it says, and it names all these different like sexual sins, and it says, those who do these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, temple thinking is like, oh, I got to be... But Jesus thinking is not, let me figure out how close I can get to this or what I can do with this or why I want to change this interpretation. It's like the person that I love, I want them to inherit the kingdom of heaven, whatever that means. I don't even know for sure what he's talking about in that moment. It might not be eternity. It might just be kingdom of God right now and all that God wants to do. But whatever he's talking about... I love them too much to cause them not to inherit the kingdom of heaven. So I don't even have to figure that out. If there's a chance it's going to cause them not to inherit the kingdom of heaven, I love them too much to cause that to happen. But see, we're not thinking about them. We're thinking about us. I mean, guys, for example, when you pressure your girlfriend sexually, and, and you know, you shouldn't do that. Why? Well, I know why, because the Bible says, well, let's get back to what Jesus' model was. You don't want to be the one when your girlfriend ends up marrying someone else and they do that little dance about their sexual history that you do, because I really want to know yours, but I don't really want you to know mine, but I'll ask, you know, I'll give you a little bit. So they're kind of doing this back and forth. You don't want to be on that list. You don't want to be one of the regrets. A Christian brother should never be a regret. It should always be like, my life is so much better because I dated that guy. I mean, I am so much closer to God. I, my life, I'm a different person. I've got a whole different view of life because I dated that guy. That was amazing. You see, it takes away all of these, these things. What love looks like. Jesus said... Follow me. The Jesus model is less complicated, but it's far more demanding. 
He said, love as I have loved you. And at the very center of the Christian faith is a man who died covered in his own blood and other men's saliva. They spit on him as he was dying. That's what this love looks like. It's costly. He says, follow me. Everything else is just commentary. Everything else is just an illustration in the Bible. Can you imagine if we lived our lives simply asking, what does love require of me as Jesus loved? Can you imagine the difference it would make at home in your family life? We've become so self-centered. Well, she just doesn't meet my needs. Or he, you know, we go into all of these things. And what does love require of me? That self-sacrificial love. Imagine our city if all the Christians in it just ask that one question. What does love require of me? Imagine a world where where people might be not understanding exactly what we believe like it was in the first century but they look at how we treat them and how we treat one another and they're going like I, there's something going on here you know temple thinking but I just want to sit and soak and I want to get so deep I'm deep now right I'm so deep, I've gone to so many Bible studies and done so many things. You know, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's not what Jesus said is deep. In fact, let me show you, and we'll close with this, how Jesus summed it up. What's important? He says, at the end of the age, this is in the book of Matthew, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne this is Jesus talking all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left hand they all knew what he was talking about in this day okay then the king will say to those on the right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world does that sound awesome don't you want to be in that group the kingdom that's been prepared for you inherit it it's been prepared for you from the foundation from the creation of the world take your inheritance and the ones on his right are going to go how did this happen how did we get so lucky how how did we deserve this how were we selected how were we chosen and he's going to say I'll tell you what, verse 35, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. And they're going to be like, I think this is the first time we met, Jesus. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen you hungry or thirsty. I mean, you look pretty awesome right there. I, I, don't, I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I remember asking Jesus in my heart, but I don't ever remember you in my house. I don't, I, I don't remember. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick. Wait a minute, Jesus. You can't get sick. You're Jesus. Right? And you cared for me. I was in prison. Jesus was in prison. 
how could that, Jesus broke the law and you visited me. And they're thinking, okay, I, I think I visited God in church and maybe at mass or uh, at the cathedral. I invited Jesus in my heart. What are you talking about? And this is amazing because they're going to say, Jesus, these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? You see, temple thinking is like, I think I saw Jesus when I was singing that praise song. It seems so, I just felt it, made me cry. It was good. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a good thing. But that's not what he's talking about. I think I saw Jesus in that amazing sermon. I, I got so much out of it, and I just want to go to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And, you know, man, I want to come get my hit of community of faith this week. I can't do without it. Woo. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? Or when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Did I mention, I feel like I did, did I mention that if you mistreat one of my kids, that all the singing praises to my glorious name or putting money in little white buckets all the generosity all the sucking up it really has nothing to do with me the most honoring thing you can do is to be there for one of my kids the most honoring thing you can do. And remember what Jesus said, let's call him Father. Father. You know why we're generous? Why are we generous? Well, because if I give God a dollar, he's going to give me ten dollars. I think it's in there, I'm pretty sure. It's not in there. It's really simple. If I give God money, he's going to be like, you know, I want a cheerful giver and I'd love it and it's going to be great between. That's not why. When you're generous, it makes a difference to the person that you're generous to. And that's what counts. One of our acts of worship is the offering. And that's one of the things I want to do right now. I want to take the offering but I don't want you to put money in there because you think God is oh this is going to win God's favor let's make a difference around the globe you see the things that we're doing you see the things that are happening you see that little white bucket at the end of your row I want you to pass it to the other end I want you to put your prayer requests your tithes and offerings in there
say, well, Mark, that was a good trick. There's no trick. You guys have been making a difference. We're going to continue to make a difference for these victims of Hurricane Harvey. We're going to continue to reach out. We're going to continue to see God in action. But it's not about us. And that's one of the most freeing things is to get our eyes off of us. We can do it when we're generous. But I don't want you just to be generous with the church offering. I want you to think about your neighbors this week. This is the assignment. I want you to think about your neighbor. I want you to think, what can I do with my neighbor this week? How can I show them? Maybe it's even just invite them to one of the empty seats here. That's fine. This is not a holy, sacred place. But I think it is one of the best places where they can find relationship with God. I think... We're one of the churches that makes it easy to do that. Some churches are kind of hard. You have to fight through a lot of tradition and stuff. A lot of you came into relationship with Christ for the very first time here. I want you just to close your eyes with me. I love you so much, community of faith. I have such a longing for us that we would move past this temple stuff and that we would just be followers of the way. It's going to look so different because it matters more about how you treated your coworker this week than any song you can sing to God today. It means more how much you love and care about your neighbor that's far from God than any Bible study you could ever go to. And don't get me wrong. God loves it when we sing songs to him. That's a cool thing. But what really counts is love like he loved. So if you're here this morning, I'm just going to ask two things of you. One, if you're far from God or you haven't been with God, I want you to step into this journey. Maybe you've let other think churches and all the hypocrites, yeah, we're full of, we're all messed up. We just agree. And some of us have gotten all caught up in temple thinking, so we think if we just come to church, we're cool. We act like we want to all week long. I, I apologize for us to you if you're far from God, but I don't want us to stop you. You step in to this journey. Be a follower of Jesus be a follower of the way now I promise you it's going to cost you everything everything and maybe you're here and you are a follower of Jesus and a follower of the way I want us to get back to the purity of that to what it means ask yourself this week in every situation what does love require of me